Hello and welcome back to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle and I'm joined once again at King's Grace Presbyterian Church in Palmerston North, New Zealand by my co-host, Rido, the Reverend Ian Reid. Rido, hi. Hi, Brent. Hi. Good to be back and see you again. This time we're back in the Gospel of Mark and carrying on from Mark chapter 11, verse 27 through to chapter 12, verse 34. Now, Ian, how have we seen the Lord Jesus entering Jerusalem and judging the temple and Israel here? So what's happened is he's coming walking on a donkey, uh, or riding a donkey, and then uh, he comes to the temple, has a look, goes away. He comes back uh, and clears the temple. But in doing that, and we had that incident with him uh, kind of cursing the fig tree, he's basically saying, this is done, Israel... Uh, and the temple are not fulfilling its purposes in bringing people to God, particularly in blessing all of the nations and allowing them to come in uh, and worship this God. Would this have been the kind of Messiah that Israel was expecting? No. <laughs> but is it the type of king that anyone would expect? You know, kind of the, you, you expect someone strong and you know, kind of coming in for a fight and you know, kind of waging war, but don't have any of that. Is it? It's just. Some random guy kind of pop in and do something strange. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay, let's. Uh, I've titled this first section "It's Quiz Time" because it feels to me a bit like a quiz. Yeah. I shouldn't. I shouldn't say that, but it does. Chapter eleven, verses twenty-seven to thirty-four. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, "By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them?" Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, Well, if we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But we sh- but shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. So there you go. (laughs) Very comic. I find it's very, very funny. Um, So what are the religious authorities trying to do to Jesus here in verses 27 to 33? They're trying to trap Jesus and basically they're trying to get him to play his hand. Who who really are you? You Or who do you at least think that you are? So they can trap him so... Uh, and particularly trap him in blasphemy. And if you if you if you really think you are the son of God, then tell us so that we can trap you. Yes, and uh, of course the Lord Jesus is far too much for them. Uh, I just love the way he he sets this up. How does he actually deal with them? What does he do? <laughs> he asks them a question, yeah, but he put he puts it back on them mm. to, to to say, well, he doesn't reveal his hand firstly, but then uh, he kind of plays their game a little bit in asking them a question and kind of saying, but it's the type of question which, if they answer, will get them into trouble rather than getting him into trouble. Yeah. Yes, and, and of course he sets it up. They're, set, they're completely set up yeah. by him and, yeah, yeah. and they fall into the trap beautifully, really. And um, I think it's a, a sheer stroke of genius. Uh, chapter 12, verses 1 to 12, the parable of the tenants. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. 
Uh, he's saying this, Rito, with them presumably still listening. Well, that, yeah, but we're not. <laughs> we're not told that it's a change of scene, right? No. So no. we can assume maybe that, that Jesus is still standing there talking to these people. Yes. So that we get even. It gets even funnier, really, or more horrific, whichever way you look at it. Uh, that's right. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants. The tenants presumably are the Jewish leaders, are they? I would take it so, yeah. Yep. To get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard, the vineyard being Israel, or something like that. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. I wonder who that is. I wonder who that is, yes. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Mm. Yeah, so it's... Not it's it's kind of a little bit antagonistic, isn't it, of Jesus to do that? It's extremely pointed. It's like going for the jugular, really. It's, there's nothing subtle about it. It's beautifully done. It's such a famous parable, wonderful. So, what's the significance of the parable, Rito? Well, it's it's telling the story of Israel, <clears throat> in that God plants this beautiful, uh, this you know, this beautiful vineyard for it to flourish. It just needs people to come and tend to it. And um, he establishes his people there. So the tenants would be, uh, I think, are the religious leaders kind of throughout all of Israel's history. But rather than uh, kind of use it to flourish for God's glory, for, you know, kind of for the, for the good of the owner, they use, they use it for themselves. And so, yeah, kind of that, yeah. Yeah. And, and so who are the religious leaders in the parable? The, the tenants, yeah. And so you, then you have the, 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 the people, the servants that... that the owner sends other prophets kind of coming and warning them, hey, you know, kind of come and come back. <laughs> you know, kind of you see that in all the prophets, right? Come back to the covenant, come back to, to serving God. You know, and then obviously the, the son that gets sent is Jesus. Yes, what's the significance of the son in the parable? Again, because that's a prophecy of his death, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, but what does he say? You know, kind of um, he said, last of all, they will respect my son. You kind of. Have we seen that happen in Jesus' ministry and life? Not really. So how does Jesus pronounce judgment on the religious authorities here then? Well, basically, he's calling judgment from God down. You know, this is what's going to happen to you, uh, that God is coming and he will, he's going to destroy you because you, you hate God, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sobering stuff, isn't it? Verses 13 to 17 of chapter 12. And they sent to him some of the... F it's more 20 questions. It's oh, like, we yeah. can't get anywhere with so we'll send someone else. <laughs> These guys don't normally have much to do with one another. So they're all in this together. And they sent, they've sent. they patched up their differences well, just for this special occasion. Jesus unites people. Like. <laughs> Against him. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. 
Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Now, what's the significance of the next group being Pharisees and Herodians? Didn't they normally disagree? Yes, they've got two things. Uh, Firstly, they do not like each other. So the Pharisees are kind of the the very conservative Christian, uh, sorry, very conservative uh, Jewish sect. Uh, And then the uh, Herodians are the people that uh, kind of follow Herod, but particularly his rule, uh, you know, over all of Israel and kind of really respect him. And so not particularly religious people. Uh, But they don't like each other. But we know right from, I think it's either chapter 2 or chapter 3, that they have been plotting together to come and try and destroy Jesus. Mm. And how does the Lord Jesus reply to them? Well, again, what does he do? He asks them a question. (laughs) Kind of. So again, what are they trying to do? They're trying to trap Jesus to disrespect the temple, disrespect uh, the uh, kind of the Old Testament law. But what does... Jesus do, he asks them a question and kind of saying, well, also, he's tr- he's, they are trying to get him to disrespect Caesar too. So to get him in trouble, not only with the temple authorities, but also, also with the Roman authorities. But Jesus is able to negotiate a way through where he doesn't disrespect either. Mm. Okay, verses 18 to 27 are carrying on. And Sadducees, that's the next lot. <laughs> We've had... The Pharisees, we've had the Herodians, and now we've got 20 questions, the Sadducees. It's their turn next in the quiz game. And Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, this is just, in, in this question, you think, who would ask a question like this? This is just total legalistic yeah. thinking. They asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child... The man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring, and the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. (laughs) Okay. So what's happening here? Rita, who are the Sadducees? So the Sadducees uh, don't believe in the resurrection. So that's the kind of their their big theological kind of marker is that uh, they they don't believe that um, there, there will be a resurrection where the Pharisees do. And so it's just it's another religious sect, kind of another denomination. Uh, and but they're quite a powerful group. They have quite a lot of people on the Ju- on the Jewish kind of Jerusalem Council, uh, and uh, so quite an important kind of powerful group. And how does Jesus, too, outwit and deal with the Sadducees? It's interesting, isn't it, that they question, even though they don't believe in the resurrection, they're trying to question, they have a question about the resurrection. And so are they trying to 
are they, I'm not sure, 100% sure what exactly they're trying to do. Are they trying to get him on board in saying, are you, do you believe in the resurrection or do you uh, kind of, are you a Sadducee or are you a Pharisee, you mm-hmm. know, kind of thing? Or are they trying to trap him into something else? I'm not, not 100% sure. It does sound like to me that they're kind of trying to get him to, to, to say that he's not a Sadducee. And so, which he ultimately does. But what does he do? He, again, uh, kind of goes back to scripture and says, yeah, he doesn't answer the question, which is really interesting, but he goes back to scripture and shows just how their whole, their whole system is wrong. So he goes back to um, kind of say uh, in the Pentateuch that, you know, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, ja- the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the, of the dead, but the God of the living, you know, kind of this idea that their whole system is flawed and in fact even the Pentateuch the law uh, shows us this Mm. okay the fourth and final question verses 28 to 34 and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that he answered them well asked him which commandment is the most important of all Jesus answered the most important is hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Quit while you're ahead, I would say. So many questions, <laughs> right? But it's interesting that when you read on to the next little bit, it's Jesus that starts to ask questions mm-hmm. kind of from then on. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So what's the fourth and final question we get then, Ian? So this, this teacher of the law, and we've already had encounters with teachers of the law up to this point, they seem to be coming uh, and testing Jesus at different points. Does he, you know, kind of in other bit, other places, it's kind of the question about, well, maybe uh, he's uh, kind of Satan or kind of a, a, has a demon or something like that. And so these people are coming to test Jesus kind of uh, in different places. But here... Uh, the question is kind of one of the big questions that was always on uh, kind of Jewish scholars' minds is what was the greatest commandment? And so this teacher of the law comes and asks that question. Mm. Uh, do you think he, he's not trying to trap him? I don't think so. That, that, is, that is a really good question. I don't think so. Mm. I, it was it, when you read kind of other... Uh, text from around the time that was an important question that was going ar- around and it did kind of put you in different schools though the way that you answered the question would kind of highlight what your theological kind of framework was mm. how does jesus deal with this question well he actually answers it mm. <laughs> this must be one of the only questions that he actually answers in all of the gospels mm. <laughs> i don't know if that's a fair fair comment or not but mm. you know jesus he rarely asks answers questions directly but he actually does he does answer it here uh, and he quotes from the old testament you know kind of saying you know so he has the is it the shema is that what that's called mm-hmm. the you know, kind of hero israel the lord our god is the, the lord is one love the god the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength the second is this love your neighbor yourself there's no commandment greater than these you know kind of 
he summarizes all the gospel. That is actually a quote from the Old Testament. Uh, but he summarizes them and says, these are the greatest commandments. Mm. What's everybody's response to Jesus then in verse 34? Well, they're staggered. They're kind of like, whoa, you know, kind of, this is so clear what you're saying here. Even though he's just quoted from the Old Testament, he kind of, the, he, Jesus' clarity and authority around his teaching, yeah, is, is kind of, it's, it's quite interesting that, they, that their response is just, from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. They, they, he's just so far beyond us in his kind of religious knowledge or wisdom so we better not kind of ask him anymore how does jesus i wonder cut through all the rule keeping of the religious authorities there yeah that's interesting isn't it that Mm. jesus doesn't kind of just go hey let's let's uh kind of these are the rules you need to keep what does he say it's love for god love for others very very simple it kind of undercuts all of the the religious sacrifices, all of those types of things. This is what God really desires, Mm. uh, is a relationship with him and love for others. Mm. Okay, Rita, that's about us done for this this podcast. Um, Thank you as always. And um, thanks once again to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Rita, thank you so much. Thanks, Brent. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. To ensure you never miss an episode, please subscribe. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating and leave a review. This will help more people discover God's story for themselves. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more, please visit godstorypodcast.com. We'd love to hear from you. That's godstorypodcast.com.